Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another exciting week of stories on the story box and today I have an Australian icon, an Australian author icon I should say. Her name is Tony Jordan. Now Tony, for those of you that don't know who she is or what she's done, uh, she has worked as a molecular biologist, quality control chemist, tab operator and door-to-door aluminum siding salesperson and she's the author of five best-selling novels. Her debut, the international bestseller Edition was longlisted for the Miles Franklin Award and won the Indie Award for Best First Book. Nine Days was awarded Best Fiction at the 2012 Indie Awards and was named as the Kirkus Review Top 10 Historical Novels of 2013. Our Tiny Useless Hearts in 2016 was longlisted for the International Dublin Literary, Literary Award. Tony has published widely in newspapers and magazines. She holds a Bachelor of Science in uh, Physiology and a PhD in Creative Arts. Her most recent novel, which was the main topic for our conversation right now for you guys, it's called Dinner with the Schnobbles or Schnabels. I always get it wrong, (laughs) but it is a fun-loving book that I think many of you would actually really, really like. Uh, I personally loved it. Uh, congratulations, Tony, for writing such a, a well, well-established book, something that was fun, engaging. I'm not huge and big on novels or even fiction books, but when I do get into them, my goodness, I get hooked. Uh, and Tony did a brilliant job in hooking me in uh, to, to a book, Dinner with the Schnabels. But basically, what this book is really about is 
you can pretty much marry into them, but you can never really be one of them, or can you? It's a novel about marriage, love, and family. Things haven't really gone too well for Simon Larson lately. He adores his wife, Tansy, and his children, but since his business failed and he's lost the family home, he can't seem to get off the couch. Simon is permanently unemployed and permanently unshaven. His larger-than-life in-laws, the Schnabels, Tansy's mother, sister, and brother, won't get off his case. And like I said, it is a fun, loving book that I think everyone is going to really find uh, quite interesting and warm-hearted too. So if you do want to get a copy of that, the link will be in the show notes below. Help support Tony and her incredible work. Uh just keeping us all entertained pretty much. And this conversation, I have to say, was a lot of fun. I really did enjoy speaking with Tony. Uh, she's, yeah, and I'll, I'll leave the the rest <laughs> for you guys, but trust me, it's, it's a fun conversation. She's just a, a, a lighthearted human being. So, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible story the stories, the wisdom, the advice of none other than the Australian author icon herself, Tony Jordan. Jay, thank you so much for having me. It's just a delight. It's honestly amazing to have you here. Now, I wanted to start off this conversation with a very very unique, I guess, question for okay. you. I'm I ready. Read I'm out- ready. I want to read out your acknowledgement section. There's a bit here that I found curious. And I'm still grateful for April 30th, 1994. So before I was two years before I was born. Yeah. When I picked up a cute drunk guy at a party and took him home. Longest one night stand ever. Thank you, Robbie, for being the source of much of my chocolate, coffee, and happiness. Can you please tell me that story? Well, <laughs> Well, this is, this, Robbie is my husband and uh, we did meet, it was a one night stand where I met him at a party and I did wake up with him in the morning and his, his name is Rob, Robert. And um, I, you know, I was almost certain it was Rob, but maybe it was Rod. Like <laughs> it was really kind of a rushed thing. Um, and then uh, we just kind of just stayed together forever after that. So that was, uh, as you say, I think 20, coming up to 28 years ago, and um, still together now. We mar- we've been married for 20 years and, and we met 28 years ago. So um, it was a kind of, <laughs> it was a strange meeting um, uh, because I had never <laughs> met him before that night. But, um, yeah, I really, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he thinks he's a genius now because it was his idea that I write a novel in the first place. So I have to thank him in all my books. It will give give him credit for taking you down this Absolutely. path, and Absolutely. that is amazing. So, and he thinks he's so clever now, Jay. He sits he sits at home and he goes, "Hmm, next rock star." Like, <laughs> he's just joking. I can't sing for nuts, but like he thinks now that he's this kind of brilliant ideas person who's going to come up with uh, different things for me to do with my time. Does he ever read your books before you officially send them to your actual editor? He's, he reads them when the first ARCs come out. So when the first sort of proof copies comes out, he gets the first proof copy and he's not a reader. Um, and, you know, being read by someone who's not a reader, my dad's the same, not a reader, has never read any books 
other than mine. So they think I'm this incredible genius because they're just blown away by this thing called a book. And they go, my dad goes, how'd you do that, Top? Like, you know, I don't want to tell them about like Margaret Atwood and a whole lot of people who do it better than me. They think I'm just the most amazing writer in the world. So I'm just going to leave it that way. Biased opinion of family, right? That's right. Think, That's yeah, right. I think my family are like that with me doing podcasts and then me writing my very first book. My mum is a reader, so mm-hmm. it, I, I allowed her to read my very first draft and right. I was kind of very, very nervous to hear her yep. response. And so when she came back with all this feedback and all her notes, I was like freaking out thinking this whole book is going to change considerably <laughs> and she's not going to think that I'm a great author now because yeah, she had yeah. to input a lot of the things. Yep. She read <laughs> so, the early stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what turned out, what, what was from a one-night stand for you ended up turning into 20 years of marriage. That's right. Uh, what was it about, Robbie, that made you want to turn that one night stand into a long lasting relationship? You know, it's a, it's a very strange thing, but it was love at first sight for me. In, wow. it, I wouldn't have believed it was possible, but we were at a party and he, he took my hand and said, how are you going? And I, I was like, from that, from that moment on, I was like, okay, so this is the next 30 years of my life just planned out right. There we go. Let's get started. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was, uh, I wouldn't have believed that kind of thing was possible, but it very much was for me on that night. That is a story. Okay. So you're <laughs> going to also tell me, um, I want to backtrack a little bit before you met Robbie, what were you doing career-wise? Where were you in, in that stage of your life? What were you doing? Yep. So that was when I was a quality control chemist. So I worked for a big vitamin company and I ran their quality lab to test all the vitamin tablets to make sure they had in them what they said they did and would do the job that that was on the label. So that was kind of my job. I'd I'd already worked um, for a biotech company making this a special kind of enzyme, a restriction enzyme, it's called, that cuts DNA in in certain spots. And I'd already worked um, in a research lab at the University of Queensland where I studied, uh, where I looked at proteins in horse blood, if you... (laughs) So if you have any horse blood questions, Jay, just feel free, like I'm your girl. Um, so I'd already done that and I'd worked for the biotech company making enzymes and then I'd moved into um, into quality control in a lab in a, a pharmaceutical company. So that was when I met him. Was this all before you were a molecular biologist or was that? Yeah, so this is all kind of, you know, the work in the... Um, in the horse blood lab, that's kind of molecular biology and the, the work in the biotech company, it's, it's called, it's sort of all under this broad umbrella of molecular biology, but really protein chemistry is, but I suppose my subspecialty um, among, among that, under that umbrella label, uh, which was a lot of fun, really so much fun. So why why did you decide to choose, I guess, molecular biology as a sort of a career path? Well, uh, you know, I'm from a working class family. My my job that you uh, read out as as a TAB operator was my first job in my mum's TAB. My mum had a TAB. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was a greyhound trainer, so we had greyhounds under the house and we went to the races. Um, not a very, you know, not an artistic or, or uh, 
a family who did sort of cultural things. Um, so I was the first of my generation to go to university, uh, to have the ability to go to university. My dad ended up going back to university as a mature age student, but as a young person, I was the first one to, to go to university. And, and it's hard to envisage, you know, when you're from a family where you're the first, a, a job that doesn't sound like a job, you know, like doing arts, what does that mean? What do you do? What, what, how does that uh, translate into a career path? Because the job thing is the career path so you can get a job, so you can get a house, so you can get a mortgage, so you can have a family like it's this straight line. So um, my mum really wanted me to do medicine. I really didn't. <laughs> um, and in the end I didn't get the grades anyway, so it was a moot point. But but I always loved science. I love figuring stuff out and I love knowing how things work. Um, and, you know, a research scientist was the kind of job we I could, you know, my family could understand. You did this course and you got this job. And so you never saw yourself being an author later on? In your life, I I would have said, had you asked me this question in the early two thousands, I would have said categorically, I have not got an artistic bone in my body. I have never written anything. I have never painted anything or drawn anything or or photography. I had no art on my walls. I had no friends in any. I, I read. I, re I always read um, a lot, <laughs> a lot of novels, um, but I would have. Thought, I mean, I knew people wrote them, right? Because they're they're objects. You can hold them in your hand. Someone does it, but they weren't people like me. They were people on the kind of back blocks of Brisbane um, with greyhounds underneath the house. Like they, that's just not how it worked. So your PhD in creative arts, you found, didn't really help you, or did it? Well, that was very late. Like I just got that a couple of years ago. So that was kind of. Yeah, I, I, I started that when I was about, I would say, maybe 52, something like that, um, because I just I just really love it now. <laughs> as soon as I started writing, this is the problem. Maybe this is, maybe you're uncovering kind of an uncomfortable character trait, the, the love at first sight for my with my husband, as soon as I started writing fiction, like my very first attempt at writing fiction was just I just couldn't stop once I started and I just wanted to do it more and more and more and um that very first attempt at fiction grew into my first book edition huh. and why I guess the question is what led you to starting and why did you mm. why did you start and so now it loops back to my husband who thinks he's the world's best career advisor. <laughs> so after I left the job in the in the lab, um, I got a few other jobs, all for pharmaceutical companies, so marketing kind of roles. And in those roles, um, you had to have a really good understanding of uh, science and the way the, these pharmaceutical products worked. So I kind of got a lot of work writing new chemical entity dossiers and every time a pharmaceutical company wants to change a drug they have to apply to the TGA we understand all this now or or the FDA in some other countries so um because we've all had a crash course in drug approval we're all you know 10 years ago no one knew what I was talking about now everyone knows what I was talking about what I'm talking about so I wrote you know drug dossiers to be handed into the TGA and the FDA in other countries and um I'm 
as you know now, I'm not so much a morning person and I just didn't like this going into the office, sitting at my little desk caper. And Robbie came up with two brilliant ideas. The first was if I get a TAFE qualification in in um, in writing, in professional writing, technical writing and scientific writing, I could set up my own business as a technical writer from home and um, and kind of have a bit more agency over the work I was doing and, and how, how I managed it um, because I had a lot of contacts by then in science. And I thought this was a great idea. I could do like a, just a, it was a, a TAFE diploma in professional writing and then I would have something to, to say to people. Not only did I have all this experience, but I also was qualified in writing. And so I'm enrolling in this sub, in this course, right, I'm sitting at the kitchen table ticking all, off all my serious subjects because I'm quite a serious person. And Robbie says, you know how you love writing, reading novels? You know how reading novels is your favourite thing in the world? Yes. Why don't you pick one of the creative subjects that this course also offers just kind of for the fun of it? Because it was one of those courses that had you know, technical nonfiction, very serious writing subjects, but also had poetry and playwriting and all these, all these things I'd never really thought about. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, I never, you know, I'll, I'll do something. So I ticked a little box that said writing a novel and, um, and I started writing a novel and, and that novel became edition, my, my first novel, my, uh, um, that went on to, I think, be published in, I think, uh, 17 countries and translated into 16 languages. So it's continually, I'm genuinely an accidental novelist, Jay, genuinely. Wow. <laughs> there's there's a lot of history. So there's a lot of history there, I think is honestly amazing how you went from all these different jobs <laughs> and then became a published author and that book just went absolutely crazy. And now you've written four other books as well in the mix, which is pretty cool. I mean, so hilarious. Sometimes when I, last time I was in Brisbane, maybe maybe a dozen, maybe five or six years ago, I ran into an old friend of mine that I used to work with in science and and we worked in a lab together and, and she said to me, it's so funny, you've got the same name as that writer. <laughs> like it was, it's just so, such a foreign concept that that would be me. I mean, when you were writing your very first book, what was the process like for you in terms of actually coming up with the story, the plot, the themes, all that sort of stuff? And has that initial process for you writing your very first book, has that changed over the years as you've written many different books? Well, you have uh, talked to a lot of writers in your time. Um, so you might, might will probably already have this concept of planners and pantsers, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in case anyone doesn't, we, we can broadly, extremely rough, this is extremely rough kind of dissection of novelists into planners who plan out their work in advance and, and have sensible answers to all that, that question you just asked, Jay. Um, or there are pantsers who make things up by the seat of their pants as they go. And... Um, I am firmly a pantser. I can't envisage doing it any other way. I never know what I'm going to do uh, from one day to the next when I sit down. Um, so that process has not changed. So when I started writing um, my first book edition, um, I, I started at the first, what I imagined would be the first paragraph and I kept going until I got to the end. And that's how I still do it now with, with very little forethought. <laughs> but as soon as, you know, I've learned, I have attempted 
um, to to plan things out because a, a number of my friends are very um, planning oriented people and and there is a, a scientific side of my brain that um, you know loves to put things in in order. Um, but it never works. It becomes forced and didactic and uh, cardboardy people moving around. There's something about making it up as I go that keeps it kind of fresh and alive, I think. I'm the same way. I mean, I tried planning, but then I guess my brain just wouldn't compute with what I was planning. And then when I started writing, I didn't even go off anything that I had pre-planned. So I'm right. like, I'm going to bin this and then just go from, I guess, where I am, where my brain is going to take it. I have no idea yep. where that is. And if it's verbal vomit to start off with, then I, at least I've got it all out on the page, what was in my brain, and then I can go back over it later on and then try and and piece it all together and and have it make sense. Because it makes sense 100%. up here. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I completely relate to everything that you just said. It's exactly the same for me. Um, I just need to um, trust in. I get need to get out of my own way. That's the thing that stuffs me up is when I overthink things. I'm a chronic overthinker, and if I move fast and I write quickly and I try to, you know, I keep a very close count on a close look at word counts. But not because I think that matters. I think that just gives me the front of my brain stuff to do so it can just occupy itself while the unconscious mind kind of does the hard work, the heavy lifting behind the scenes. I do the same thing. Like I'll just write and then I'll, I'll in the forefront of my mind, I'll have my thoughts on the page as I'm writing. Yeah. And then in the back of my mind, I'll have the word count just in in my I'll have it on the bottom and I'll continue watching it as it goes up and I kind of feel like a sense of accomplishment if I go even higher yeah (laughs) it's like I've done something I've written something down yeah but you know this is this is important because part of the challenge of writing you know a substantial piece of work like when I handed in first draft of dinner with the Schnabels, it was like 92,000 words. Like that's a very massive piece of work. And part of the, the skill set you've got to learn is managing your own mindset because it's it's running a mental marathon, an intellectual marathon. And uh, it's very easy to get frustrated because every time you sit down, you're, you're only doing the smallest amount of it. And you've got to learn techniques to unhook yourself from the end product and think about today my job is to write the best I don't know thousand words or whatever that I can do that's my job today the best of thousand words and and let go of all those other things because it just does your head in right you can't uh you can't manage your your frame of mind if you're thinking ahead too much I think what inspires you Tony with coming up with these kinds of ideas for books. I mean, I guess the best place to start with would be what inspired you to write Dinner with the Schnabels? Well, look, I knew that I wanted to write a comedy and because I just think we need a comedy right now. (laughs) 
Yep, and, everything. Yeah. Yes. And, and I, I see, I've seen this myself in what I, the stuff I've been streaming over the last couple of years. Of course, I've done a lot of streaming like we all have over the last couple of years. Um, but I found myself watching things like Shit's Creek and Ted Lasso and mm-hmm. things that are warm and have a lot of heart and um, things that were, uh, you know, people doing the wrong things <laughs> and getting everything wrong, but for the right reasons, if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to write a comedy. And that's a scary thing for me because as soon as you say it's a comedy, which you have to say at some point on the jacket or, or, or somewhere, you immediately will have someone say, I didn't find it funny. So so s- making that stamp of saying um, it's a comedy is, is to me a a, quite a commitment <laughs> because uh you know humor is extremely um individual and you know there are things that i find funny that other people don't and uh it, you know it's it's a, a, a it's a scary kind of decision to make um but i once i made that um it, the rest of it kind of fell fell into place after that i knew i wanted to make something that that was a little bit of warmth and <laughs> a little bit of joy because I felt the timing for that would be good. I completely agree with you with the kind of two years that we've had, especially in Melbourne, you poor woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think this is a, a much needed book and and the concepts that you're, you're telling about family, love, marriage, all those things intertwined. I think we we need a lighthearted approach with those things because the family has been probably hit hard with yeah. a lot of people being stuck in lockdown and and you name it. Um, but did you did you have like any inspiration from real life to form these characters to form the actual key story element? Um, I'm not really the kind of person who takes much from real life. Um, I, I'm I have kind of I was the kind of kid who played a lot of Barbies, you know? So when I was a little kid, I had on the on the far side of my bed this Barbie world kind of set up with furniture and families and kids and jobs and and every afternoon when I got home from school, when I was like eight, I would play this extended telenovela kind of, I think I was watching probably Dallas and Dynasty at that point where people had fights with people and jobs and, and you know, all, all these things kind of happened. So I, I quite uh, like making up people. I like um, making up people in my head. It makes me, it, it's just a source of, you know, the world is a ridiculous place. Like it's ridiculous. Like it's tragic and, but also stupid. And I really think that that having uh, an ability to laugh at ourselves and with other people um, is kind of like a piece of mental self-care. It's like it gives you a resilience to to um, to keep going when things get tough. So uh, I, I kind of I, I had the the vibe I wanted to create, I guess, um, was the thing that that I, I knew from the beginning of this story. Is there a twist ending? Uh, I'm not going to, there's a <laughs> reveal. Maybe we could say there's a bit of a reveal. Um, yeah. It's, so for, it, it for might those people, not what you think. I'm looking forward to finishing it 
but <laughs> I might ask you afterwards because I don't mind spoilers. <laughs> um, but for those people that want to get a bit of a overarching sort of take on, on the book, what is this mm-hmm. book really about? Well, it's about one man. His name is Simon. Uh, he's had a bad couple of years, as many people have. He he lost his business and he's unemployed and he's he can't seem to get off the couch um, and he lost his house. Uh, so he hasn't, he's struggling. He, he's not, this doesn't make it sound like a comedy, Jay, but I promise, <laughs> I promise. Um, <laughs> he's having a hard time of it. Um, but his his in-laws, his wife's family, have got a plan, and that is that he should um, landscape a friend's garden for a, a family event, for a memorial service that they're, they're holding. So he has one week to landscape a garden, which really should be well within his capabilities. But um, he's not at his best. He's continually derailed over the course of the week, so the, the book lasts for one week. And uh, things continually go wrong for him. And um, I've tried to uh, put uh, the kind of narrative energy into this will he will he not finish the garden question um, in the same way that, uh, you know, people might like be, uh, you know, um, diffusing a nuclear bomb kind of pressure. Um, so uh, I'm trying to keep, you know, the tension high, even though the stakes are low. So it, the, the question is, will Simon finish the garden by Saturday? Um, and we'll see what happens. And then he meets some interesting characters along the way, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So things go wrong for him right from the very beginning. <laughs> he gets a, an unexpected house guest. He gets uh, calls from um his old staff who which he thought he and then one of the kids is in trouble at school and the you know everything about you know modern life it's often not the big things that defeat you it's the little things that can defeat you so you know his fridge breaks down so he's got a you know he's broke he's got to somehow pay for a fridge repair and he's got to wait around all day for the guy to come and fix the fridge so this should not be a big thing in the scheme of things but when it happens it really is a big thing so um it's just kind of the tension building up from all these little things that that kind of interrupt his his week all those little things that seemingly frustrate men i know yeah for a fact absolutely yeah yeah. the the bathroom one of the draw the handles when we're in the process of trying to sell a house at the moment and moving to, to Queensland, the sunny coast. And uh, this morning uh, I'm in the bathroom and the I pull the drawer handle and the handle breaks. I'm like, mm-hmm. damn it. <laughs> but you're right. There are those like if you're, if you're already starting out and you're having a bad day or life's yeah. not really going your way, those compiling little things just yeah, end up with a right. massive explosion and, yeah, it's not good. it's so weird like the human brain is so weird so we have to deal with at the same time you know the existential dread that comes from the knowledge that one day we will die and cease to exist Mm -hmm. and the handle breaking on the bathroom drawer and it's like in our brain we almost give those two things equal weight (laughs) when when logically you know they're not really of equal weight but but it's this these small things that can kind of derail you so poor simon is 
dealing with very big issues about the nature of his marriage and and what he wants to do with his life and you know he's a bit depressed and 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 you know the how, how he sees the world how he can adapt to a a new and ever changing world and he's also got the broken fridge so it's kind of balancing these <laughs> these issues for him now we can see the humor so we're laughing at the poor guy's pain <laughs> and then relating it to life <laughs> that's right i'm hoping it, i hope people recognize you know some of the things that that he has to deal with it's so it's very much australian i find um you got that australian humor intertwined throughout it because yeah i think my parents when we've had something break or yeah it just it ends up we make a that what's that saying uh we make uh the molehill one yeah make a mountain out of a molehill that thing um so it doesn't matter what it is we just over amplify it in the grand scheme of things like i don't have time to fix this damn draw that's broken and (laughs) i don't have the money for this and look at the americans right comparing it to them they're just like oh she'll be right it's all good i mean we we're australians and we came up with a she'll be right attitude and yet it's not right i don't know if i'm making any sense (laughs) i know exactly what you mean things are a bit out of balance when you when you're having a hard time things get out of balance i know exactly what you mean so what are some of the the key lessons that you intertwined throughout this book? Um, I think, uh, you know, it's funny that that it's a theme that I keep coming back to. It, my first book was sort of about that um, as well, which is um, it, all, all we really have is the present moment, trying to live in the present moment. And instead... Um, you know, I read a lot of <laughs> I read a lot from the Stoic philosophers. Um, instead, we 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 live in the past, or we borrow our. I think um, was it Seneca who said we borrow our problems from the future. Um, when really, just think about it's quite enough to think about right now and how you can fix right now, and to to give a kind of an order of of priorities to things. Um, but really, I it's really not. Um, the kind of book that's that's loaded with lessons. Um, if it makes people smile, that's really all all I'm asking for because um, I firmly believe in the in the power of humor to really uh, to to make your life better. There is a lot of people in the world who um, have a business model making on based on making people miserable because if you're miserable. Then you've got to got to go out and like buy a new lipstick or a dress or like a lot of the consumer culture we live in is is resting on people being unhappy enough to have to spend money to cheer themselves up. Um, so you can you know buy a book and share it with ten of your friends and it costs you like three dollars, or you can get it from a library or you can spend almost just nothing and you can change your state within your own power. Um, and to me, that is, you know, fiction is, um, books in general are just the most miraculous thing. They contain entire worlds and you will be changed when you come out the other end in whatever way it is. And you can access them 
you know, you can keep your own copy. I hope some people do. Otherwise, I can't pay my own bills. But if you don't have the money, you can go to the library. Like nothing is stopping you. Um, it's just, and the same way, you know, as I said at the beginning, I started writing a novel through a creative writing course. So I'm an enormous believer in um, doing courses for things like this. But you don't have to. You don't need you know, a, a, a potting wheel or a easel or expensive oils, you need a pen and paper and you can start writing today. You can start writing something about your life to pass on to somebody else. You can start capturing memories that are important to you. You can start making a story that that reflects some important truth that you've learned about things. It's the most democratic art form, not only as a reader, but as a writer. And uh, I'm still excited about it nearly 20 years later. You're super wise. And <laughs> I, I, can, I can relate to a lot of the things you just said because I wasn't good in school. I wasn't great with many subjects, but the one subject that I honestly to God loved the most was the creative writing part mm -hmm. of English because that meant that I could let my brain run wild with just sitting down with me, the paper, and it helped me transport myself out of the, the real world into this imaginary world that kind of helped control my emotions in the real world. It's like Absolutely. an amazing phenomenon that goes on. And in school, in primary and in high school, because I was bullied, I would just go to books and I would read books. So that would be kind of like my escape almost. Yep. I would I would read stories I, for the life of me tony i can't find those these books that i used to read as a kid they were they were like these adventure they had dragons in them they had soldiers they had all this stuff i can't remember for life of me the name but if i could see the front cover i guarantee right. i'd be able to yep. remember it but i just can't remember the name of the books i'm like i've been looking for for ages i found them in a library one day because we couldn't really afford many books. And these days when I can't afford books, I can't find the books that I used to love. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted yeah, to yep. get them for, for more of my, my own personal. Yeah, of course. Of course. But yeah. Yeah. Like, like you were saying, I think humor, just being able to put a smile on someone's face. I mean, that just helps you. It uplifts you as Absolutely. much as the other person. So I love how you're, you're doing that um, with, with writing. I cannot wait to finish this book now. You, you're making me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, can I, just, can I just say one other thing that, about that point that you just made about imagination? Please. So uh, often I have a book, uh, my novel Nine Days is on the VC English list here in, in Victoria. So kids study it in school, right? And so I, I often go and speak to see like school kids, year 12 kids, um, and they, you know, they often have this idea that I've moved from science, they know that, into, um, into creative writing, into fiction. So now I'm in a field where imagination and creativity matters, but I wasn't before. And, and something that I, I say to them all the time is everything relies on creativity, every single thing. In the sciences, you can't, um, 
you can't test and test something, design an experiment to test something unless you already have imagined what the solution to a problem might be. And the only way we're ever going to make a better world is if we can envisage one, is if we can imagine what something will be like. So this skill of imagination and creativity is, to my mind, the single most important skill that anybody can learn and especially young people can learn. And it comes from, as you said, letting your imagination off the leash, right? So you you can actually, it doesn't matter, it's mental. Like it's, 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 you know, wildly imaginative, absolutely impossible. None of that matters. What matters is you're, you're going, um, you're making something from nothing, something that wasn't there before, an idea in your head or on a piece of paper that wasn't there before. And this is an exercise for you to start honing these imagination and creativity skills and they're the skills that everybody needs you said it honestly i think it's being curiously creative yeah absolutely absolutely just letting letting your mind run wild and i think science as well that a lot of people miss is the ability to question things and if you do want to make the world a better place you've got to question what was old and hopefully find something that is new that can be improved. I mean, Absolutely. I think everything everything can be improved, right? It's just Absolutely. It's up to that creative aspect on which section needs to be improved or the overarching thing, changing it, different different perspectives, you name it. But I just love the whole creative process of writing. I find it incredibly challenging, but also really rewarding at the same time. And if yep. people like listening to this and you've never written a book before, I think Tony can can relate to this as well. It's downright hard, but when you get to the end, it's like this rewarding relief. <laughs> it's like I, I just did that, right? Like it, it is an incredible achievement. It is. It really is. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so grateful for for your work, Tony, and and for your ability to help a lot of other people in this space, I guess, unleash that creative itch that maybe people are are hiding away. Um, Don't hide it away. Don't hide it away. Especially, you know, if you're a mature person. Uh, your stories need to stay in your family, right? You need to you need to pass them on. So you need to get something down on paper because people forget. So you know, if you're young, you need to practice your imagination skills. If you if you're not so young, you need to capture these amazing experiences that you've lived through. Like, don't let them go to waste. Nobody has the perspective that you have, mm-hmm. um, and if you let these stories go, they're gone for good. Yeah, great point to make there. Where do you want people to get a copy of your brand new book, Tony? Um, it's available in your local independent bookstore across the country um, and and in other bookstores as well. And, um, yeah, you uh, it should be, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you can find it anywhere. Well, when I walk into my local Dimmix, hopefully today, yep. if yep. you can find it, I'll take a photo of it and I'll share it. it. I, love, I love going into bookstores and then seeing all my friends that have written books on display and then if they are hidden away somewhere i'll pick them up and put them out where yes. everyone can see them that's me <laughs> you're a gorilla 
it's a gorilla out facer. So you sneak into the store and you move them so that they're facing out. Excellent. Good job. I'm one of those people. Okay. So I'm your <laughs> biggest supporter, biggest fan. Uh, but two quick final questions for you, Tony, if you don't mind. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Okay. Um, what do I love uh, about myself? Um, I, the thing I actually, you know what, the thing I love about myself is I really try at everything. Like I never phone it in. I give everything the absolute, I can go to bed every night going, I left nothing on the table and I just gave it everything. I'm happy about that, about myself. Um, and my story, as opposed to the book story, mm. um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, oh, gee, that's a bit of, <laughs> that's a tricky question. Um, I've, I've experienced, I've had the most amazing life. I've met the most amazing people, been to the most amazing places. I've just been so lucky. Let's say that I've, I've very grateful that I've had this lucky life. Mm. I love all that. This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends right. and your family have decided to put together, not a book, but a film for you. Right. Everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how yeah. in the world. Got it all. <laughs> Technology will exist, right? It will probably, <laughs> but just imagine they got it all and they've been able to show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Just how lucky I was. Like, you know, was it Prince who said, uh, Life is just a party and parties aren't meant to last. Yeah. Um, I just think it will show that I've just had, a, I've been incredibly lucky and I've had a marvellous time and I'm so grateful for that. Perfect send-off message for people to be left with. Tony Jordan, thank you so much for your time today, for your story, for writing these incredible other stories as well for us. Uh, go and get a copy of her brand new book, Dinner with the Schnabels. I'm getting it right this time. It's Schnabels. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, Tony, for, for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Such a pleasure, Jay. Thank you so much for asking me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hey. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 